Well, good morning. It is good to be uh, with you for worship. Uh, and like Tim said, for those of you who are joining online, it's good to be gathered together in this way to worship with one another. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is really, truly, I say this every time, uh, it's a real privilege to get to open God's word with you, uh, to do that together as a faith community. And I don't take this lightly in any way, shape, or form. So I want to pause, take a moment to pause and to ask for God's help in both the speaking and the hearing of his word. So let's take a moment to pray. God, thank you that that invitation stands for us to come and worship a holy God, uh, that you invite us as a father who invites children to come in, into your presence. You love us uh, in unspeakable ways. God, it's just a wonder that we can do this together to hear from you. So now, where I speak my own words this morning, would those fall away and be forgotten quickly, but where I speak your word after you, God, would you, would you do the work that only you can do in changing our hearts and minds to be more like Jesus? We pray this in his powerful name. Amen. Well, who here loves to play with Legos? Yeah, when I, yes, I see all those hands. Uh, when, I, when I was a kid, I think I probably circled Legos on every single Christmas list. You know, you, the, in the catalog, right? We had the big Sears catalog. Find the Legos, circle that. I think every single year. I mean, this, this red bucket, here it is. Does anybody still have this red bucket full of Legos? No, I couldn't find mine. Uh, kids, how many of you hope to get Legos for Christmas, right? Did you, did you bring, did any of you bring Legos with you? I, I sent an invite. Uh, if you brought them, I hope you are playing with them uh, throughout the morning. Some of the adults are like, I wish I had brought Legos to play with uh, during the sermon this morning. There's just something about these little bricks. This is, I, I, I put some of these together this last week. I had instructions, so this is kind of cheating, uh, this little train. But there's something about these little bricks uh, that we love. There's some. One of the, the, the former CEO of Lego, he captured it this way. The guy who actually turned Lego around in the early 2000s, they were starting to fail as a company. He captured the appeal of Legos like this. People just love to make things. It's deep in every human being. That's some good anthropology. It's also some really good theology. It is, it is in our DNA to create to recreate, to make things, to remake things. As people who believe the Bible, we know why that's true. It's because God, God made us that way. In fact, it's because he is that way, right? Deeply ingrained in us is this love to make and recreate things because we're made in the image of a wonderfully creative creator. So kids, you love to make things and remake things with these little blocks because that's what God is like. And he made you like himself. Did you guys know that's true? God make, made you like him. He made each of us in his likeness. We are like them. And then, this is the wonder of Christmas, the mystery, the beauty of Christmas, is that God didn't, not only made us like him, but he became one of us, right? God, the Son, took on our likeness as human beings. And something tells me Jesus would love Legos just as much as we love Legos, right? 
During Christmas, we celebrate this long-awaited coming of Jesus to earth as a newborn king, a baby in a manger. But during Advent, the season on the, the, on the Christian calendar, our longing extends beyond his first coming to his return. When Jesus comes again to remake all things new, Advent is it's a season of waiting, which is why we've entitled our current sermon series, What Are We Waiting For? Last week, Joseph asked the question, is heaven real? And, and likened it to the familiarity of home. Heaven feel, what's it going to feel like? It's going to feel like home. And this week, we're going to talk about the place of heaven. This Advent, we're, we're looking, again, beyond Jesus' first coming to his return, and we're asking questions about heaven, and this week we're talking about the place of heaven. In two passages, specifically, Revelation 21, we're going back to Revelation, we just couldn't, couldn't help ourselves, I guess, we didn't get enough in the previous series. We're going to look in 1 Corinthians 15 for a little bit, ask a simple question, what will heaven be like? It's similar to what Joseph covered last week, but what, what's it going to be like, this place of heaven? And we're going to use these little bricks, Legos, as a bit of an object lesson uh, along the way. And so kids, if you brought them with you, get to work uh, building your little creations, because I want to see them after the service. In fact, you can bring them up to me, and you'll get a little prize, along with, if you fill out the Kid Connect, if you bring this up and just show me the Kid Connect, uh, I'll give you a little prize for that uh, as well. I want to see your masterpieces. And if you're, on, if you're at home online, and you have Legos, go get them and build something, uh, have your parents just post a picture in the Facebook comments. I would love to see those creations as well. So let's get into it. If you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to two places, uh, Revelation 21. You can also put your finger in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start in Revelation 21 because it's one of the, the clearest depictions of heaven that we have in all the Bible. At least it's it's one of the central, like, primary pictures of heaven. And the first observation I want to I make about, or to answer this question, what will heaven be like, is that heaven will be more familiar than we realize. More familiar than we realize. There are many passages in the Bible that I think point to this, if we have eyes to see them. But one of the clearest is in Revelation 21. And notice, as I read this, passage again. Notice the movement and the direction as it relates to heaven. John writes this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now maybe you remember the reading from a couple weeks ago. Katie she read from the Jesus Storybook Bible about this gleaming, sparkling, beautiful city. Not going up to heaven, but coming down to earth. And that has always been God's plan in redemption, is, is to unite heaven and earth. For God's space, heaven, and human space, earth, to become one. But heaven will be on a renewed earth, which can be a little bit hard to imagine. So I want to show a short little clip 
from the people at the Bible Project. If you've, if you've never interacted with the Bible Project and their videos, you should, you should Google Bible Project right away when you get home. Their videos, it's just so clear. I'm very visual. It's a, they, they make truth uh, very visual. But they have this simple video that depicts heaven and earth becoming one. So take, take a look at this. Not that one. That's the Jesus Storybook Bible. But that's also a really great What happens video. when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die. But that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Yeah, so you, so you saw the overlap right there at the beginning. Initially with the cross, that purple space where there's the cross, that's Jesus. Because remember, heaven and earth have already been united once in him. That's the wonder of Christmas, right? That heaven has broken into earth already in God the Son. He has become a man. In Jesus, God's space and our space, are one. And that's the mission of God all throughout the Bible, that, that one day there will be no more space where heaven and earth do not overlap. Isn't that a cool way to think about what God is doing in the world? And the truth is, if you are in Christ, you know, this sort of language that Paul uses of our union with him, if you are in Christ, what does Paul say? Second Corinthians chapter 5, he says, if anyone is in Christ, you are what? You are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. It's the same language, similar language to that in Revelation 21. The overlap has actually already begun in you. And that overlap between God's space and our space means that heaven will be far more familiar than we realize. There will be differences for sure. Goodness, I hope so. In the year of our Lord, 2020, let's hope that there are differences between this space and what God has in store for us. But much will be familiar. And I want to go back to our Legos for a second just to illustrate the point. So the difference between our present universe and the new heavens and the new earth is a bit like the difference between Duplos and Legos. Has anyone played with Duplos? Uh, here before. They're, they're for very young children. Uh, they're simple and easy to use. Uh, they cannot swallow them accidentally. It's great. It's great for little kids. Um, this is our, our present heaven and earth. Pretty cool, right? I mean, it's Luke training under Yoda. It doesn't get, it doesn't get a whole, whole lot better than that. But then there is this. This is the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, this is like over 7,000 pieces of a Lego set. They're, I, I've actually seen this in person. This, it's amazing. It's amazing. They're both Legos, okay? Clearly recognizable as Legos, same basic shapes and materials, but one is for children and the other belongs in a display case, right? It's far more complex. It's more amazing. 
And there, listen, there is so much about the new heavens and the new earth that I, that I don't understand. And using Legos to illustrate the point is really fun. <laughs> uh, but it certainly doesn't answer all of our questions about what the differences will be. But I want to pause and just point out one simple but really massive imp- implication of what we're looking at, which is that if heaven is coming to earth, then today matters. Your, your present day matters. If God has already begun this new creation work in you, and if his mission is to bring heaven to earth in every square inch of the universe, then it matters what we do and how we live today. Or as, as Dallas Willard, the late philosopher, he put it this way, he says, the life we now have as the persons we now are, will continue in the universe in which we now exist. That's our, that's our future. Friends, we tend to think about how very different the new heavens and the new earth will be, and rightfully so, they will be, Lord willing. But because heaven is coming to us, it also means that what we do and who we become today matters. Our Advent waiting is not a passive longing for a better future. It, it's an attentiveness to how God is already in the business of restoring and renewing this broken world today, here, now, fueled by, Advent is fueled by a hope in the faithfulness of God to finish what he's already begun in breaking heaven into earth. So how we use our time matters. How we use and consume resources matters. How we work matters. There'll be a great deal of continuity because heaven is coming down to where we already live and work and play. And in fact, it is, it's, already, it's already here, in, in part. If your faith is in Jesus, it's already here in you. You have the, you have the spirit as a deposit for that work that he's going to do, accomplish in the future. So heaven will be far more familiar than we expect. That's our first observation. The second builds on it, which is that heaven will be more physical than we expect. Specifically, I want to focus in on the fact that we will still have bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. They will be transformed bodies. They will be resurrected bodies. But bodies, nonetheless, we will have. We won't be ghosts or angels or spirits. We will be humans, and humans have bodies. That's my one profound moment for the day, okay, right there. You're welcome. Paul writes to the Corinthian church about this. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because some in that church thought that the idea of bodies coming back from the dead, of resurrection, was laughable. They were set in a day and had this belief system that this, the spiritual world was more important than the material world, and it was impacting their understanding of resurrection. So Paul, Paul argues, kind of the first half of chapter 15, if the dead can't be raised with new bodies, then Jesus wasn't raised, and if Jesus wasn't raised, then our faith is worthless, because we ought to be pitied more than anyone else for thinking that this thing is real. Jesus didn't come back to life with, with, new, with a new body, and the overlap of heaven and earth has not begun in you and me, and the world should pity us. 
And we normally think it's important, it's essential to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And of course it is. We, what would we be doing here if we didn't believe that Jesus is alive today? But Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 15 is that it is essential that you believe in the resurrection of your body one day. The gospel, actually, he argues the gospel hinges on that. Because if you deny that, then you deny the Christian faith. And every, every early creed of our faith includes the, the essential nature of bodily resurrection. And so when Paul is met with an objection about physical bodily resurrection, he corrects them in chapter 15, verse 35, with a metaphor. He says this, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? Paul says, you fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you're not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. So Paul uses the analogy of a seed to talk about the relationship between our earthly bodies and our resurrection bodies. And I want to take the giant sequoia tree as an example for this. Sequoias are the largest trees by mass on earth. And like, like all trees, they start as a tiny little seed. I mean, kids, you could, you could hold the seed in your hands. In fact, you have no idea if I'm actually holding one in my hand right now or not. It's that small. I'm not. I'm not. But you could hold these seeds in your hand. Kids, who's planted a seed into the ground before? Has, have any of you helped with that? Jay, I love that you raise your hand like when I'm talking to the kids. I love that. Uh, we, do, we can do this. We can plant little seeds in the ground. And when you do that, the seed, it dies in the ground, and then it becomes this. The sequoia seed becomes this. I mean, just pause to imagine that. Can you believe that? Like, all the DNA for that enormous tree was bound up in a little seed. And the seed is the same as the tree in, in that sense. But it it's also very much a different thing after it dies in the ground. You could hollow that out and drive cars through it. I've seen it at Sequoia National Park. It's incredible. There is continuity and discontinuity. This is Paul's point with a seed and a tree. In the same way, there will be continuity and discontinuity with our bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, we will remain ourselves. In fact, I think you'll probably be more like you than you've ever been in the new heavens and the new earth. And we'll still be physical human beings, but we will be renewed in ways that, frankly, my mind just can't comprehend. Just like when you look at a little sequoia seed, you cannot imagine what it will, be, what it will become. All of its grandeur, all of its majesty. We can only imagine what we will be like. Paul says in verse 42... So it is with the resurrection of the dead. We have natural, corrupted, weak bodies now. They will die. We will put them in the ground like a seed. But if you are in Christ, by the, the power of his resurrection, you will be raised with a new body that is incorruptible, raised in glory and honor and power. That's what Paul says. What we have now is a natural body. What we will have is a supernatural one like 
Jesus has. And listen, I have so many questions about this. <laughs> and some speculations that I won't say from the stage because I hold them too loosely for that. We just don't have a whole lot to go off of from Scripture. But one thing I do know is that our bodies matter. Your body matters. Now and forever. And Jesus is the ultimate example of this. Just think this out with me. Jesus came to earth through Mary, through her body. Heaven and earth joining together in this mysterious way. He's born into a baby's body, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger, the Son of God, here in a body. That's what we're celebrating right now at Christmas time. And then his body was hung on a cross and it bled and he died a physical death. And his body was wrapped in burial cloth. It was placed in a tomb. He was mourned by his friends. But when they arrived on the third day to care for his body, it was gone. He had risen from the dead and then appeared to hundreds of people with a new body. Which means that one member of the triune God is now permanently physical. Jesus still has a body. And his, his physical body is pretty important to our faith. I mean, that's like the understatement of the year, right? Jesus' body matters a great deal, and, and therefore so does yours. He made, he made you that way. I mean, far too often, we ignore our bodies, or we feel shame about them, or we idolize them. I mean, that's been my story through the years. I suspect some of you resonate with that in some way, shape, or form. That shame or disdain, it's not from Jesus, though. That's, like, that's a lie from the enemy. I mean, his accusations extend to how we think about our bodies, that we are lovable or not based on our beauty, that our worth is bound up with our strength or our coordination or our health, or that what you do with it who you sleep with, or what you eat or drink, whether you do or don't exercise, it just, that it doesn't matter because these, these bodies are going to go away someday, and so who really cares about how we think about our own bodies? Or, this is, this is the one that's true for me sometimes, that we would be happier in someone else's skin, right? We think that's true. I recently read a book called Seeing Green by an author named Tilly Dillahay. It's about it's about envy, which is just something that God's been unmasking in my heart recently. But, and she talks about what she calls dust envy, that we envy others people, other people's bodies. And when she talks about it as dust envy, that's just, it makes it as absurd as it really is, that we are envying other people who are made from the dust of the ground. But she says this about our bodies just more generally. And I want to read it because it, I think it just captures the point here well. It says, God meant for us to be embodied creatures. We're not failed angels, nor is the body a prison for the soul, though in a fallen world it will often feel like one. The body is good. Eyes and ears, hands and hair, breasts and bones, lungs and livers, tongues and toes. They are all good. Being visible, tangible, audible, and smellable is good. 
It is a privilege to be able to use one's body for the glory of God. To comb one's hair, to stir a risotto, to swing a bat, to run a 5K, to dance a waltz, to clothe oneself. It's good to be embodied, to be human. We say all the time that Jesus loves you, and he does. He loves you. And that means that Jesus loves your body. Like he, he made it. It's part of his plan for your life with him in this world. And he will remake it after the likeness of his own resurrection. You know, the, one, the, the bodies we have are breaking. They're prone to disease, to decay, to death. We all know that. I could, I could go on and on about how actually COVID has heightened our awareness of how being embodied beings matters. It matters to us in all of life. But I want to leave this point with a, with a, this, a more hopeful truth, which is that God is preparing for you a renewed resurrection body like the one that Jesus has. Not just had, currently still has. Your body is good, and it will be so much better which brings us to our, our final observation. Heaven will be more familiar than we realize. It will be more physical than we expect. And finally, our shortest point. We're going to cover this in a future sermon. Heaven will be more glorious than we can imagine. I've spent, spent most of this time trying to make the case that heaven is going to be more like earth than we tend to realize. But what's also true is it's going to be more glorious than we can even imagine. That's all the images in Revelation in 1 Corinthians 15. They're trying to animate our imaginations for a reality that's more glorious than anything we can dream of today. Kids, you are you're so good at using your imaginations. I love that. It's one of my favorite things about the Christmas season. I also can't wait to see your little creations that you bring up to me. Because I love the way that you can wonder and you have fascination for things that are unseen but real and heavenly and wonderful. We have a lot to learn from our children when it comes to imagination. And the most wondrous thing about the new heavens and the new earth is not that everything will be shiny and new or even that we'll have new bodies that will be remade. Those things will be great. But the most wondrous reality that should animate our lives now with, with hope, is that God will be with us. His, his residence will be here fully, finally, completely. It is the presence of God that makes heaven so glorious. That's the whole goal of heaven and earth coming together. And Revelation 21.3 captures it. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the residence of God is among human beings. He will live among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. I mean, think about Christmas morning and opening gifts. If you've done this with little kids, you can understand. What makes Christmas so magical, it's actually not the presents, though you're tempted to think that that is true when you're five. But it's actually the people. I mean, listen, if my girls woke up on Christmas morning even if they had everything they wanted, you know, a new Lego, Frozen 2 Lego set under the tree, that's, they would be delighted. 
even if they had everything they ever wanted, but they could not find us in the house anywhere, <laughs> they'd freak. It'd be the saddest Christmas on record, I hope. I hope that's true. Goodness. Maybe I, maybe I, I'm overstating that case. I don't know. But the truth is, gifts without a giver are only so good. And the same is, the same is true for heaven. Heaven and all of its gifts and pleasures, all the things we're going to enjoy, all that we have to look forward to, they're enjoyable because they will be enjoyed in God's presence. That is the hope of heaven, and it, and it matters. Your hope matters. It actually is, it's our hope today, now. This is my, again, one of the, my favorite things about the Christmas season is anticipation, hopeful anticipation, and heaven ought to do that for us every single day. Like kids who are shaking presents under the tree, eager to experience the hope of future joy. That's what, when a child takes a gift and shakes it under the tree, that's what they're doing. This hope of future joy. That anticipation, it, it actually shouldn't put our head in the clouds, like off in dreamland somewhere. It actually should fuel our serving, our loving, our sacrificing here and now. This is how C.S. Lewis put it. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. But the deeper your hope is for heaven, the more you're thinking about this next place, the, the hope of future joy, the more you can actually disadvantage yourself for the good of others today, now. That's a challenging thought for me. Right? My life, your life, our lives are are constantly bearing witness to the object of our hope. What is it that we're putting our hope in? How we live bears that out. And so, this Advent season, as you, whenever, as you see a nativity scene or you experience a child's wonder or just the, the joyful things about the Christmas season, I encourage you to put your hope in this truth, that Jesus didn't come. He didn't come as a spirit to release to release us from the stuff of this world. He is light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. And the, the work over centuries, that is essential to our Christian faith, that Jesus himself became a baby to redeem us, to set all of creation free from its bondage to decay, disease, and death. And Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. That is the embodied, glorious promise we're waiting for in the renewed heavens and earth. Is that the promise that you're waiting for this Advent? I hope that it is. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have the hope of future joy that's actually been sealed for us. There's a guarantee in us, in your spirit, that you've taken up residence in us. Whatever, I mean, 
However that works, the, myst- the mystery of that is there. But God, we believe that you not only have come to us once, but that, you, that we can be united with you by faith now and that it, we have hope of future resurrection when you return. God, thank you for so much to hope in this morning. And I, I pray that, you, that we'd fight for that hope, that we'd know that today matters, that it matters what we do with our bodies, how we worship you through them, that as we, we hope in these truths of the new heavens and the new earth, that it would, it would animate us to live, to live lives for the common good now, that we'd work hard for your glory, that we'd worship together uh, with, as a people marked by joy and hope. Thank you for these truths. We pray this in Jesus' name.